boat. When the boat tipped over, of course not silly. I was in the water. <laughs> I was in the water. <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. Hey, you did you shave your beard? Like, did you clean it up? Because it looks really good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I trimmed. You know, I get a haircut every two weeks, and I have to trim my beard accordingly. That's very... Um, my mamaw gets her haircut every... I bet she's every Friday. She's uh, She gets a perm every Friday. 10 a.m. It's actually nine. Is it? <laughs> it is nine. That thing sets up like a fruitcake. It is absolutely... It's perfect. It is literally beautiful. I think that's where she hides her Christmas presents. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas presents and other things. Yes. Living. Yes. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of You'll Die Trying. I am Nathan Morris, and this gentleman here is... I'm Jonathan Carroll. Dr. J. J, I call him. His beard is very nice, by the way. It's it's good. I, mine is... Yours looks good. I don't know why I have one. It's to cover the shingles, aforementioned <laughs> shingles. The never-ending shingles, they're, they're, they're pretty much gone. They're, they're gone. It's literally like two bumps. It's fine. I don't have like a diseased face. You don't, but I am. I'm drinking diseased coffee. It is no better than last week's coffee. It tastes like what I imagine motor oil to taste like. That is funny. We are uh, the, we 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 are talking with some some people to to help us bring up on our coffee game and 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 whatnot. Did you know you can buy coffee on Amazon? Yeah, you can buy virtually anything on Amazon. Yeah, you, def- you definitely can. All Jeff Bezos' idea. Yeah, that's well, that's kind of brilliant. I think that's conversation for sure. So, if hey, speaking if you, of Amazon, oh, please continue. Go. Oh, were you getting ready to make a plug? Please plug. <laughs> <laughs> what product are you using right now that you would recommend to every person listening? Oh man, are you serious? I'm nervous. Don't be nervous. Uh, headphone splitter. <laughs> Good idea. I just bought it on Amazon for $5.64. It got here in two days. I mean, a headphone splitter. So I bought the headphone splitter that we initially had. Remember, you can only hear out of one ear. Brent came and he was like, hey, you idiot. This isn't that. They look exactly the same, by the way. I'm, I'm serious. If I, I wish I could find it. Uh, but apparently that one wasn't the correct one. So that's, that's what I think everyone should use. A big headphone splitter. <laughs> so you think every person listening... Should have a headphone splitter. Yes. Even those who may be choosing to live a single life. Well, those that are probably single have, you definitely have either a fish or a dog. So you could share. I don't think fish take well to headphone splitters. Uh, Plants do. Plants like music. They grow better. Do you know there's a wonderful study and I can't (laughs) cite. uh, I knew that would entice you to come up with something. Yes. There is a study by a Japanese uh, scientist uh, about the negative, about the effect of negativity on water. Have you ever heard of it? No. It is a. Uh, it is a. There's a Japanese scientist, as I said, who has studied uh, water uh, and ice crystal, water molecules and ice crystals. And you can Google this, or you can use another browser of your choice to find the effects of negativity on water. I think those words together will get you there. And there are microscopic images of ice crystals and molecules of water that uh, including water droplets where at a at a s- almost submicroscopic level and you have to realize I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but when you look through the thing that makes the really tiny thing big, you see in these crystals a function of your attitude. Like, for instance, there was a, uh, I don't know if it was a, a glass of water or if it was an ice cube or something, and and uh, white supremacist epithets were, were, were yelled at that piece of ice or glass of water. On the other side, in another room in another building, there were very positive things said about humanity and life and love. 
and when studied at a microscopic level, the differences between the two are unbelievable. And it is like death and life. It's unbelievable. Look it up. What do you think was being said around that coffee you're drinking? <laughs> I love you. You're beautiful. You said it was terrible, though. You taste like crap, but I'm grateful for you nonetheless. You can be both, right? You get absolutely you yes. honest and yes. grateful. Yes. So Christine, who is an incredible uh, employee here within our team, she actually taught me something last week. She said, you know, she goes to school full time. She works full time. She's an apprentice. I mean, she never, ever, ever complains. And she says, what helps me is instead of saying I have to do something, I get to do something. Miss Positive. So today, this week, what I would do is uh, instead of saying, oh, I have to take the trash out. Well, that was a silly example, but something along those lines, I have to do this. I have to do that. Why don't you get to say, I get to do that. I get to take my kid to their basketball practice because some people don't have kids. They would love to have kids, et cetera, et cetera. Back to your initial question, because the headphone splitter was putting on the spot. <laughs> I really am, maybe it's because I'm 33 and, and, whatever, not saying I'm old or insinuating that, but the value of writing things down has increased for me. Yes. Uh, portfolio. You know how we give all of our new team members a portfolio portfolio. And in that is a, you know, like a paper, you can write things, you can keep your organized, like right, right there on the desk, you have my portfolio open, which actually has documents in it that I'm actively working on. And I know for a fact that those things are getting or have been completed. I think it's really cool to see successes happen throughout the day and marking stuff off of a list, scratching through $10 uh, portfolio. May I just say and suggest that there is a study out of uh, a Missouri university indicating that when you have written something down with a pen on paper, you're 40% more likely to achieve that. 40% more likely to accomplish what you've written down versus what you have typed in with, to a technological interface or thought about doing or asked someone to remind you to do, 40% more likely to do what you've written down. And when you do accomplish that goal and you're able to scratch that off of your to-do list, you get a dopamine release in your brain, making you feel a sense of accomplishment, achievement, and pride in yourself. You've just sprayed down the decks of your brain with a hormone that makes you proud of yourself. Wow. Another thing I just thought of that I would encourage everyone to get, I have a, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, um, Moshi, M-O-S-H-I, a Moshi cell phone cover. I have an iPhone, uh, I don't know, 27, whatever it is, <laughs> iPhone 8 plus. Uh, it has uh, the cover itself, the case itself protects the phone. And then you see the flip here. And then the flip has, you know, my uh, credit card and my driver's license, but it stays closed. And what I've done with my phone is I've turned off notifications on all unnecessary apps. Apps such as our, our company email, stay on. Apps such as our company Slack, stay on. Everything else is turned off. Notifications disappear. I don't see them. The end. Buy a Moshi. This is like $10 Moshi. If you would love to be a, a, a sponsor here or there, you know, <laughs> please call. But no, this has been an, a great investment. I've had it for a year. Highly recommend it. Portfolio and a Moshi cover. You need one, a, Jay. I have a notification on my phone that says... Are you coming back? The kids are waiting. It's the the game, the little dentist, because uh, uh, my girls used to play that, you know, a hundred years ago. And I, I have to be honest that I'm, if I'm ever found playing a video game, it's going to be the little dentist on my phone. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Hey, what's a what's a what's a product that you that you would uh, encourage everyone to have? Headphone splitter. <laughs> that was my number one. So now I have to punt. Um. A product that I think everyone should have, and I don't have a specific one in mind because I don't have mine in front of me, but it is a book light. So the 65-year-old infomercial that comes on at 2 in the morning is you. That, That's exactly who I am. <laughs> that, no, that is, okay. Here's why. Okay. And I have to say, I have recommended this to couples in marital therapy, and it has spared them Many nights of conflict, which, by the way, as I've said before, shouldn't happen in the bedroom anyway. But when you have a couple who wants to go to bed at the same time, which I think that is a really good idea, and I think to couples who don't do that and want better connection, it's a really good idea to go to bed at the same time. But 
what happens when one of you is exhausted and needs to go to sleep and the other one's wide awake, but you want to be together? Well, having the TV on is oftentimes distracting, plus there's the blue light disrupting biorhythms of sleep, etc. There is the uh, thumbing through your phone on social media, which, by the way, the other person can feel that motion unless you have one of those mattresses that's split in the middle. A book light is a soft, incandescent invitation, a quiet welcome into the book of your choice while you read until you get sleepy, while your spouse snoozes and slumbers peacefully beside you. A book light can save your marriage. You know, my last... <laughs> okay. Do you remember the Scholastic Book Fair? So let's go way, way back. When remember I'm in elementary- it. I still have to dish out money for those things <laughs> oh, for yeah. my kids. So the book, the semi rolls in, the shelves roll out, and then you smell, they turn the library in the, in the classroom, in the school, into the book fair, and you and go and it's your a parents- thieves. Yeah, your parents go and you spend, oh my gosh, can I please have this $30 unicorn poster? I didn't get a unicorn poster, but there were unicorn posters there, and they're probably that much. Uh that's Nobody ever buys books at book fairs. It's 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 pencils, erasers, bookmarks, and posters. And book lights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's where I saw my last book light. It Did was, you buy it? Yes, I bought it. There you go. It's hilarious. The book light. All right, there you go, guys and gals. Get a book light. Save your marriage. <laughs> save your marriage. Get a book light. I think it's good to have modest expectations. Those yield modest outcomes. That's very but true. But I do think a book light can save your marriage. Is that the title of this podcast? Saving your marriage? No, get a book light. Save your marriage. I think that's great. <laughs> okay. Get a book light and save your marriage. Speaking of book lights and books, we talked last time about a book uh, that you were reading called Good Morning by Elizabeth Meyer. Correct. And I had mentioned that I was reading a book called The Five, Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And uh, I thought it would be interesting to ask you your take on uh, not your regrets necessarily, you know, unless, of course, you want to talk about those, but what you think would be the answer to the question, what is the most often quoted regrets of those people who are, who are nearing their own deaths? I think one of them is, and as ironic as it sounds, uh, probably is uh, it worked too much. It would have worked less. Am I right? Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Man. What's another one? Um, more family time. Uh, yeah. Number four uh, in her research, this is Bunny Rare's uh, research, the Australian nurse who, uh, hospice nurse who wrote this book. Number four is I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. I think that mixed with I wish I hadn't worked so hard is more is about having time for connection, mm-hmm. interaction. The first one mentioned, the number one, I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. Wow. Another one, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. And finally, I wish that I had let myself be happier. Man. I had a... a theology professor named Shirley Guthrie, a wonderful man, smoked his pipe in uh, Campbell Hall, which of course was against policy, but he was Shirley Guthrie. And uh, he wrote uh, a book called Reformed Doctrine, which is a book written for Sunday school classes in the kind of Reformed tradition, Lutheran, Presbyterian, uh, etc. And he died recently. And as he died, he was visited by a friend who happened to be the seminary president at the time. And she asked him this question, what is it where you are right now that we need to know? And he was in the throes of it. We're talking hours remaining, not days. And in his uh, salty uh, pipe smoke stained throat and this very fragile voice, he said, I wish I had known how important it was to forgive. So I have chills just... Man, yes. In the throes of death, the one thing he thought was most important was forgiveness. It's life-changing. Powerful. It's life-saving. As our book lights, back to forgiveness, though. Forgiveness, a lot of people think, has to do with forgetting. And I don't know who first came up with that forgive and forget thing, but I think that's kind of dumb. Because to forget is to suggest I would be open to it the next time because I didn't remember that it happened to me. You can't look at a woman who's been abused by her husband and say, forgive and forget. 
because it's just an invitation for it to happen again. And of the one out of four women in the United States who will be abused in her own home by a person of a spouse or partner, uh, it will happen again and it will get worse each time. So forgetting isn't really an option. It's just not very smart. So when people hear forgiveness, I think they hear forget. And I also think they hear condone. To forgive someone is to say it doesn't matter, that it's okay, that it's behind us now. I don't think that's what forgiveness means. What do you think forgiveness means? I think forgiveness is this ability, um, having been on the receiving end of forgiveness and some major issues and things. and Yeah, same here. Um, uh, and obviously asking, uh, giving forgiveness myself. I think what it is for me is forgiveness is for me. I think it's my gift. Um, I think it's a gift for me if I'm forgiving. Um, the one seeking forgiveness, um, I think it is a gift as well. But if I can, let me let me backtrack. I think if if I am giving you forgiveness for wronging me, Jay, I am relieving myself of the burden and the weight of carrying that in that satchel of other things that I'm already carrying at my waist that are hitting my legs and bruising me every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I am relieving you of <laughs> that, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saving myself. That I'm sparing myself. Um, and if that doesn't answer the question, then I don't think I know how, but... That's perfect. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's okay. about uh, letting go. Mm-hmm. I think it's about letting go of another person's throat, because if I'm strangling someone metaphorically, that's the only thing I can do. I can't simultaneously be strangling someone and sending an email to an uncle I haven't right. heard from. It's all you can do. It's, it takes every amount of energy. You know what I just attention. thought of? It reminds me a lot of fantasy football, the app. Hear me out. So when you, yeah, 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 this is, I'll get there, I think. Get it, get it. <laughs> Hope I'll so. let you know if you don't. Yeah, yeah you'll go get another <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, so uh, fantasy football, the app. It's my first year doing fantasy football. You have to stay on top of it nonstop. You're keeping track. You're keeping records. You're keeping tallies of everything. You follow what I'm saying? I'm so for you to not forgive, for you to hold that throat, you're keeping tallies. And it is mind numbing and it is it's exhausting. Exhausting. Mm-hmm. So that's what my comparison is. See, did it make sense? I, that was really nice. Really? Yeah. So, okay. So yeah. forgiving, removing the hand from the throat, getting rid of swiping your finger to look at the, the scores. Right. Like, cause there's a lot of other stuff that we're dealing with every single day. Yeah. And the last thing that we need is to carry the junk of this situation, allow it to be an opportunity to be like, Hey, listen, like this is, this is me forgiving you. This is me freeing myself. Uh, you know, what you did was absolutely horrible and wretched. I do not condone it. I think any mature, responsible, ethical, uh, human who is on the receiving end of forgiveness should know that, uh, a forgiven, a this is hard to word. Uh, it is not condoned. I don't know. Yeah, You can speak better and smarter to it, but I just, it's a gift. Well, I have the privilege of talking to people uh, who have experienced terrible, terrible things, uh, horrifying things have happened to them since childhood. And the last thing they want to do is forgive because a couple of things. Number one, I think we can become addicted uh, to uh, our own uh, feeling of brokenness and sadness because it's what we've known and felt so long that it's like saying, "Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I have nothing. I'm, 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 I'm homeless. I have n- nothing at all for myself. But I, I'd rather stay this way because it's what I know. It's like the Shawshank Redemption thing. You know, the whole, the power of, uh, of recidivism and, and people who become institutionalized in prison. And so all they know, and they go out, commit another crime, so they can go back in to what was comfortable, even though to us, hey, it's prison. To them, it's home. So I think we become addicted to, very comfortable and familiar in our own sadness and brokenness. And it's hard to imagine even letting go because that's a huge change. And this is a why a lot of people don't leave dangerous situations at first because, hey, you know, the devil that you know is better than the devil that you don't. And even though this is terrible, it's my terrible, and I'm just going to stay in it. Forgiveness, though, is not about, uh, you know, condoning. It's not about giving permission. It's not about saying it's okay. It's about breaking the chain that keeps me connected to whatever or whomever has caused harm to me. It's like saying, I don't want to be a part of that or of you 
anymore. I'm freeing myself from that. I am breaking the chain. Because as long as there is conflict, there is a relationship. As long as there is anger, there is a uh, connection. And as long as there is hate, there is also still love, because you can't hate what you don't still love. So in order to forgive, you've got to work out the anger and the hate, and you've got to decide, I'm ready to be free. And you're right. Forgiveness is for you more than it is for the other. Freeing yourself from the prison of being held captive in the confines of that experience, whatever it may have been or still is. It's not saying it's okay what you've done. It's saying I no longer want to be associated with that. You do not define me. I think it's one of the most powerful things we can do. I think forgiveness, if it's actually possible, is the most powerful force. I. Is there anybody in your life that you have not forgiven? It's personal. Maybe you don't have to answer. No, no. Let me think about that. No. I, I've forgiven everyone in my life too, and it is freedom. Yeah. It is freedom. It really is. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's liberation. Mm-hmm. If you have all these things that you're in charge of, you know, how, how can you effectively operate, you know, rooftops and morale and personnel if you can't operate your morale. I think what ends up <laughs> happening is everything you operate has the stain of whatever lingers in you mm-hmm. and has the scent of that um, that sadness or that hurt. I think when we are free, we operate freely and we end up encouraging freedom. But when we are held captive, I think we hold captive and others feel captive. I think the oppressed become the oppressor. Mm. It's really fun to watch business operations, they are the reflection of their, you know, their leader. They absolutely are. And, you know, I think of like the smiling faces at Southwest, you know, (laughs) it's like all the years that all the other airlines are asking for seeking by, you know, government assistance and whatever. I don't know all the the specifics to that, so I won't really talk to it, but, uh, you know, Southwest was showing profit and giving their, their employees bonuses and taking care of them and they're everybody smiling and happy and so forth. It's, it's, it's good. So please know that, uh, you, you reflect your, your operations reflect how you are feeling. If there is junk that you are not, uh, relieving yourself of by forgiving, caring for, um, yourself by forgiving, I encourage you, I know Dr. J does, of, of forgiving. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful gift you can give yourself and it frees you up so you can go out there and, um, get the next uh, acquisition. (laughs) You mentioned um, having been on the receiving end of forgiveness. And a lot of time, I mean, I am too, uh, 100%. I I am daily on the receiving end of forgiveness Uh, when it comes to, I think, my marriage. Mm -hmm. My goal is to live at least one day where I don't have to say I'm sorry. Good luck. No kidding. It's not, it's not just a, it's, I make a joke with Megan and I'm like, it's my fault. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm, I'm sorry. And she's, it, we laugh about it. Yeah. It's just like every, how we're, we're dumb. Jay, you're dumb. I'm we dumb. are. It's men. It's <laughs> men. men are, we're just so dumb. We are so slow. Yeah, my gosh. Yeah. But anyway, so I am on the receiving end of forgiveness often. We have to be prepared to forgive people who are never going to ask for it. We have to be able to accept apologies that we never get, which is an exceptional act of human courage and maturity. I think, to be able to look at a situation and even a person and say to oneself, I know I'm never going to get what I want. I'm never going to get that apology from that parent or that sibling or that friend or that spouse or that child. I'm never going to get what I'm looking for. If I'm going to wait for it my whole life, I'm going to wait for it my whole life. That's what's going to end up happening. And I'm going to die in want of something that I was never going to get. So so starting the conversation with, I think you owe me an apology, is probably not the best way to start a conversation. Definitely, <laughs> uh, in reference to another podcast, definitely that would be a harsh startup. Yeah, uh, I think <laughs> claiming one's own responsibility, using eye language, and, and not becoming an expert in someone else's behavior is your best bet. So uh, let me start off with apologizing. I don't think that I heard you well, and I think I reacted based on what I thought I heard, and I didn't check it out with you. I'm 100% sorry. I take full responsibility for everything that happened after that. It's just a different way of having communication, unless you have a stonewaller, 
And you may just have to have that conversation in a couple of days. Yeah, I'm a big believer uh, as a leader that I represent everyone. We talked about this previously. I represent you and my actions and and so forth. And <laughs> and as a as the leader, you are. Uh, I take responsibility, right? I'm not one to throw others under the bus. And so every day I'm uh, <laughs> I'm making things right, fixing things, apologizing. Uh, as it was, if, as it were, as if I did something whenever it might've been, you know, someone else accidentally doing something or not doing something right. So it is, it is an ongoing joke that I literally, it's my fault. (laughs) Everything is my fault. I'm sorry, even at home. So you probably can relate person. People. You, you mentioned too, when you, uh, reading this book that you, you were reading, uh, good morning that, uh, the author talks about her, her father was her person. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a word that we use in our family. I remember when I was um, dating my wife, I asked her who her person was, and and I wanted to ask you the same question. Who's your person? Who's my person? Mm-hmm. My wife. Yeah. She is, uh, um, she is a saving grace to, to a big degree. She is the supporter on the sideline. Um, we talked, we were talking last week about how I had two hours with her. I, I still can remember it and reflect on it. Cause it's just so special to me when she was in high school and college, even she was the, you know, the life of the party, the leader and the center of attention. She had that, <clears throat> had that. So, you know, now what she loves so much about our marriage, our relationship is she gets to support from the sideline. And she is that, I mean, she's the one that is behind me with her arms on my back shoulders and making sure that I don't topple over. Mm. Um, she's, she, she gets me. Uh, she's like to the point where I was eating pizza last night. I did not do anything that I was notice noticing. And she said, you getting full. And I was literally about to pop. So (laughs) I'm like, how in the world are, you know, get out of my brain kind of thing. She's my person. She's, she's my best friend. Uh, she's in, she's really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, just stare at her and just watch her be in the moment. She's in the moment. She doesn't care about her phone. Uh, she sits on the floor with the kids. There's no, um, there's no time restraint. Yeah, it's it's pretty powerful. That's my person. That's lovely. And it's really neat. Yeah, it, it's really neat. That's not a safe answer, and it's not a cliche answer. No, I know. Um, uh, Joy, my wife is is absolutely my person, and in fact, it's the first time I've ever had a person. Mm-hmm. To be honest. My dad died when I was young. I think he was my person, but it was I was too young to figure that out or be able to capitalize on that. Uh, so I think I've been looking for a person ever since. I've been looking for teachers. I've been looking for mentors. I've probably been looking for surrogate fathers, and I have uh, never found what I'm looking for. It's a frustrating reality has been when I found someone, I think, oh, this person's going to mentor me, then they end up asking me questions and we end up forming more of a collegial partnership. It's probably because I didn't let my expectations be known because I'm not, I haven't been comfortable with that kind of vulnerability, which now I understand is absolute strength, but I've had to grow into that. So forever I was looking for a person and didn't have one. And then all of a sudden here's this person who is, I'm, I like her so much. Like I say that to her. I I don't just say, I love you. I like you a lot. Like I'm so fond of her, you know, mm-hmm. and I admire her, um, her brilliance and her strength and her capacity to absorb um, so much uh, hurt and um, betrayal in various aspects of her own life and and rise uh, more beautifully and powerfully than a phoenix could have ever dreamed. It's amazing to watch. She's 100% my person, my go-to. I think everyone deserves that. I think everyone is deserving of that. That's nice for you to say. I think that's true too. I I don't. I think that we could benefit from advocating that everybody have that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that would look like. Right, and I'm not saying it have to be a spouse per mm-hmm. se, because mm-hmm. some people, you know, they have no. the vocation of of you know single life, or maybe they don't. You don't want to have their spouse be their person. There's nothing wrong no, with that. It doesn't always th- work. It doesn't always work. Right. That way. And I yeah. think that uh, people deserve, you need to be around the, you know, you are like the company you keep. Keep that in mind. You lay with the dogs, you get the fleas. So always be around people that are bettering you uh, or and are, be- and are better than you. And it sounds to me like you highly believe that obviously Joy, your spouse, is better oh, than and oh, betters you, as do I with, with Megan. I think we're in a unique situation yeah. there. But I definitely encourage uh, those of you listening to, you know, to, to embrace, uh, find that, acknowledge that person. 
that person is a very special entity in your in your life. It's really interesting because if I can keep speaking to that, uh, I had a gross, gross, close family, excuse me, growing up. My brothers and I are very close. I'm talking like uh, did uh, sports together and, and rode bikes together and did all the things. We're three and a half years apart. Uh, Aaron's getting married in October. Um, John and I share joint uh best man, best men duties. Um, and when I got married, John and Aaron were best, you know, so it's, it's, we all share that. Um, and Aaron's getting married. John, I see on the daily here at the funeral homes. Um, I don't want to say we're not as close, but you know, life happens. Right. And you were talking about after your father passed away, you were looking for maybe surrogate fathers and surrogate, you know, and, and I understand that I can, Mm -hmm. I can speak to that. And so, uh, maybe they just, I'm just talking how they parallel one another. It's just like, we all deserve, we all want to know that we're loved and valued and cared for. And we want, we want to feel that. And it's really nice that, I don't know, I'm just kind of doing a little reflection really, Jay, just knowing that, you know, we have that person. Um, so yeah, speaking to the book last week and calling him the person. So you called your dad person, your person. No, I, I didn't, oh, okay. I didn't know to do that at the time. I was too young. Yeah. Looking back, I think he absolutely was. Yeah. Um, and he would adore my wife. That's one of my great griefs is that that connection was never made. That your dad never met mm-hmm. your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, what do we do now? Well, I want to cry a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to cry a little bit. That's okay. People don't feel comfortable crying. People don't feel comfortable crying. Even in, in the context of my work, here we are, it's therapy, it's one-on-one, it's completely confidential, it's a closed you know, room, um, it's safe, we've established relationship, and still, after a long time of listening together, someone will apologize when they cry. I don't understand it. It's so sad. I am a big believer in um, showing, expressing emotion. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it, it humanizes us. Um you know, at the funeral home, it, when you sit with a family during arrangements, the men, more times than not, uh, will excuse themselves from the arrangement room or turn their heads or, you know, do some other thing so that they can not be seen with, you know, tears in their eyes or a choked up word um, be heard. It's just, it's, it's mind-numbing. Bra- embrace it, you know, embrace you know, it. I cry a lot. Do you? The girls make fun of me. I mean, we, we, we have four girls, 16, 14, 12, and nine. And, uh, we watch, uh, when we get to watch TV in between extracurriculars or after the weekend, we get to watch things like America's Next Top Model, Project Runway, World of Dance. So you think you can dance. If you can think of that genre, that's what we watch. And I'm not going to lie. I love every bit of it. <laughs> I love every single moment of Project Runway. I want to watch it more than they do. Oh, Lord. I'm like, oh, let's stay up. It's Friday night. Let's watch one more Project Runway. Tim Gunn is so amazing. He's such a fashionista. I love it. But anyway, so we're watching a dance show. And I've, until having these girls in my life and Joy in my life, Joy, who was a, a lifelong dancer and, and even still dances um, and was doing so in a formal capacity up until about a year and a half ago. There's something about dance that I'm, I've been introduced to now that is incredibly moving. There are a couple of choreographers on the show, So You Think You Can Dance, that immediately I moved to tears. Immediately. I'm watching, we're eating, I'm watching the show, <laughs> we're sitting around, the dog is snoring, somebody's snuggling, you know, and boom. And instantly, Joy can be like, you crying? It's like... <laughs> Yes, <laughs> she knows. I cry. I cry at happy things. I cry. I cry, and I. It's because I. I don't know why it is. I'm. I'm. I'm tender. I'm a tender guy. But I think that even though you may never know what causes them, tears are always telling you something. I think they're telling you something about yourself. I think they're telling you something about the world you find yourself in, and I think they're telling you about the mystery of where you've come from. And if your life is to be saved, where it is that you're going. And I think it's always best to pay attention to that. I remember that. Why do, when did it start where if you cry, you're weak? I don't know. That's probably as, as old as is our species. I think that's probably, you know who invented that? A guy. <laughs> so dumb. Yeah, of course. 
There is such power in vulnerability. There really is. Vulnerability is not weakness. It is the antithesis to weakness. The ability to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I don't know. Those are powerful words. Not to be used as power, but they make power happen in the world when they are, when those words are released. We ask our staff whenever a question is brought to them that they don't know the answer to, to acknowledge it. When a family asks a question that maybe we've never heard before, or, uh, you know, I mentioned Christine being an apprentice, you may not know the answer yet. That is a great question. I will have the answer for you soon. I will go and find that out kind of thing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. F- you take away any opportunity for that person, that pe- those people to judge, to, to be upset with. You're like, okay, wow. You know, like, <laughs> you're like, uh, okay, great. I'll find, and you, they wait patiently. It's pretty, it's pretty powerful. It's very powerful, actually. I have a great image that I, I wish I could uh, show, and eventually we'll have a video version of these podcasts, and we can do that. Uh, it's an image of a, a sculpture that actually was uh, featured at Burning Man, which is that annual September, it might be going on right now, for all I know, uh, event in the deserts of Nevada. And by the way, they pronounce it Nevada. Uh I'm not recommending Burning Man just as a, a, a disclosure because it is, uh, while the philosophy is beautiful and it's about accepting people as they are and, and being creative and artistic and, you know, um, allowing people to be people. It just happened, Jay. It it did? It, yeah, it happened. Uh, yeah, September, uh, September the 3rd was the last day. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit of a... Um, kind of a hedonistic approach to uh, to life. It's a big celebration of life. There's a lot of art. But these people are all out in the desert for like 10 days. You know, it's hot as hell, and they're dusty and nasty. And there's a little bit of some freedom with regard to, you know, love and sex and the like. And I'm not recommending that, nor will I be attending that this year. <laughs> but there's the sculpture that I saw online and captured, and it is, it is a... It's a sculpture of, of um, looks like it's made out of wire, and it's two adult figures that are sitting back to back in what is obviously a, a conflict posture. But inside those wire sculptures are additional wire sculptures of children. So the man who's facing away from the woman has inside him the structure of a young boy. And the woman has inside her the structure of a young girl. And whereas the adults are facing away from each other in this conflict um, posture, the children are reaching out toward one another. And it is so powerful. I wish you all could see this. It's really neat. What this tells you is, again, when we are in conflict... There are the inner child, inner child in me is trying to make contact with the inner child in you. And I think that there is something to be said about those of us who cry, that there, there is, it's, it's the little one in us trying to communicate a message that we are probably all but deaf to. And then when we pay attention to it, I think that we end up much healthier. I love that image. Isn't it powerful? I think that's going to be like a, a screensaver. I use it in therapy a lot for couples who are fighting to let them know, look, you think that you are you hate each other and you're against each other, but there is something in you that's just dying to reach out and connect and touch another person, this person, your person. But all this conflict, it just creates this, this scrim almost that you, because the light isn't right, you can't see each other. And when someone shines a little bit of light behind it, all of a sudden you can see what was always there, but that you were all but blind to, and that is the other. And what you get in return is is reconciliation. I think that's the, the power of recognizing your own vulnerability that tears might be pointing to, is that there's reconciliation just ahead, if only we would persist. Whenever I think of those, the image there, um, and even in the business, in the business um, aspect, you know, with the backs to one another, uh, that happens a lot. 
Um, you can't get others though, like other employees or other people that you're having grievances with, you can't get them to have that. They got to want to change too. They got to want to be a part of this positive movement toward a solution. I don't, do you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I can relate that to the marriage aspect, but how do you relate that to the business aspect? Right. Mm-hmm. So about vulnerability. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a, it's a conversation going on right now in, in leadership studies about the role of the leader and what vulnerability looks like, you know, because obviously we don't want to walk into our uh, Monday morning staff meeting and just lay bare our <laughs> chests and say, you know, here's everything that's going on in my life. Let me, let me kind of dump on y'all for a bit. Now everybody get up and let's have a great week. That's I don't think that's what we mean. Stand there. Could you imagine me at the meeting, like with my cup of coffee, just like going to town in tears? Right. We would celebrate your your humanity, but also <laughs> you would we be. would we would lament your oh. your failure of of nerve and leadership. I think that it's a it's a gift to be able to lead with vulnerability without making it about ourselves. And I think that that's that's an ongoing call. For us, you and me, in in our lines of work and work together, that we not make everything about ourselves. That this is not about me. This is not about my stuff. This isn't even about my vision. It's like the we all have to kind of create that together, and we all have to be what it's about. So we have to keep redirecting the attention and the energy toward those who are doing this good work and not making it about ourselves. And I think that's part of what vulnerability means is shining that light on someone else and reflecting that light towards someone else so that they have the privilege of seeing, uh, seeing differently and seeing anew. It reminds me of that song by Jordan Smith, the Kentucky singer who won something. <laughs> um, America's Next Top Talent Model Singer Festival. Idol, yeah. Yeah. Um, he has a song called Stand in the Light and, uh, the video, I'm a, I'm a kid of the eighties. I love music videos. Like that's, if I'm not playing little dentist, I'm watching Vivo (laughs) and music videos. And this video is awesome. Jordan Smith, Stand in the Light. It's about being yourself. And he says repeatedly in the chorus, it's the greatest risk you will ever take is by far to stand in the light and be seen as you are. See, chills. I have chills. Say that again. The greatest risk we will ever take is by far to stand in the light and be seen as we are. Wow. It's powerful. That's authenticity. That's vulnerability. I have dreams. This is a true story. I have dreams that I'm standing on Frederica Street. Frederica Street, for those of you who do not know, is a big street in Owensboro. It goes north to south and it cuts the west and the east uh, in half. And It's the Buffalo Trace. Yep. It has the... um, these islands in the middle to separate the two lanes on either side. And I have dreams that I'm standing on it in my underwear and cars are just passing me like crazy. And it's just me in my underwear. And I think that that's kind of maybe coincides with those lyrics a little bit. Like I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being serious. Yeah. I mean, because, uh, when you take away the suit, when you take away, you know, everything, there I am for everyone to see me. I think there's something you could probably dissect that dream. Can't you? Yes. Go ahead. Dissect it. Want- I had a recurring dream once. Okay, what was it? <laughs> Are you going to be mean to me? No, I said I had a recurring dream once. Oh. <laughs> I have a friend who says, when Thank you wish you. upon a star, you're a few million years late because the star is dead, just like your dreams. <laughs> That's so mean. He's a therapist. Is, oh, that is mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you're right. It's it's um, that I love to do dream work, by the way. I'm kind of a Jungian when it comes to dream work in terms of how I think about the the role that you play in your dreams and there's something of you in every character in your dream. And I like the, the idea of, of your dream uh, about being, there's a trajectory to it. You know, there's some, there's a sense of direction and maybe some directionlessness uh, and vulnerability and not really knowing maybe which way to go. And I think that there's some powerful stuff there. We could we could dissect that a little bit. And uh, just so to be very clear, the dream consists of seeing tons of cars going opposite directions. I'm kind of just a, a viewer mm-hmm. and I'm not standing confused. Right. I'm just standing like, what do I do? Well, yes, I am. Exactly. Wow. 
boom. There it is. And then not to mention in high school, I had the reoccurring dream of being locked out of my house and someone was coming to kill me with a gun um, and I never could get the door open. But no one ever, he never could kill me. He had a black leather jacket on, pair of jeans. Honestly, happened all the time. Like the door, you know, the the door and the, uh, uh, you push the little handle and it yeah. had a little button and then mm-hmm. it would never open. It would never open. Wow. Yeah, I wonder what that meant. Well, you know, the possibility <laughs> of that person being you is pretty strong. So me being the killer of me? Well, we wouldn't want to be too literalist about it. Because okay. Because no one ever died. Be me trying to kill me? Are you sure he was trying to kill you? No. Exactly. Maybe you think everyone else is out to get you. In high school. That was a high school me. And at the end of the day, it was you who was your worst critic, which mm. is probably still true. Mm-hmm. Did mm. you wear leather coats in high school? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. I gra- No, I graduated high school in 2003, not 1972. Wait, did they wear it in 72? I just think of the Fonz. That was before, I don't know. I don't know, guys. I'm sorry. My sense of history is as bad as my geography. I have no real clue about that. Oh, geography? Don't even get me. Don't even get me started. Well, speaking of vulnerability, I'm I'm really terrible with directions. So geography is, and I, we, we, don't, we don't do well together. My wife's amazing. My what? wife sees everything and just knows. We were out of the country once and she was like, oh, we need to go here and here and here. She's dead on. You're not good with direction? No. That's weird. Because I, I would think that with your brain, that knowing you well enough, uh, you would be like, okay, yeah, we need to go this way. It's a major blind spot for me. That's really funny. I don't know if it has to do with confidence or what. I just know that in Owensboro, it's helpful because a river is our northern boundary. So I always know where the north is. But I, I really can't tell you um, how to get uh, to McDonald's. And that's really the only place I want to get. <laughs> So that is a true statement because uh, anytime Dr. Carol, Joy, Megan, and I go out, we always get a text message of him or her, like they're they're in a late night uh, McDonald's trip. It's actually really, really funny. And we're very envious of that. It's our go-to place. It's really And is. it always ends we up always in cheeseburgers and french fries. We wake up to text messages <laughs> from you all with pictures of you in the McDonald's drafter. It is so funny. It's so delicious. I hate how delicious it is. It is so terrible for you. It is so terrible for you. I have, I, I'm going to switch gears now if I can. <laughs> I got to tell this story before we wrap for the, for the day. Uh, our, our intro, You'll Die Trying intro, yeah. uh, is very popular. I'm very proud of that. Uh, to the point where we have people reaching out to us, you know, Wonder Boy Media, our media company, right. uh, has some potential clients and one of them wants a jingle. Which is really funny because we, for the longest time, we were like a full service ad agency, uh, but we haven't done jingles up until you'll die trying. And uh, it's really, really funny because we were just sending them this so that they could hear like the capabilities. (laughs) And they're like, well, this doesn't really line up with our client, like connect, like putting, they put the sample that we sent to the a video. <laughs> it was so. It was. It's campaign themed. In other words, yes. so we have campaign season coming. Right. And it's like you'll die. Tr- anyway, my point is, <laughs> they're like, well, we don't see like the connection. The, the connection here. I'm like, yeah. no, no, no. So anyway, uh, that was that was a funny <laughs> moment that actually just happened last night. I'm like, that is not at all what we were trying to get across. A shout out to Drew and TJ and Joel. They're amazing at what they do. I'm sure they had. I'm sure that that was hilarious for them. It was really funny because we have that Slack Slack conversation going and it was just like, whoa, you know, hold the reins, like, whoa, whoa, yeah. Nelly. Like, no, that's not at all. But also kudos to 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 Brent. I think it I think you'll die trying the the intro song is just this fun, you know, it kind of it kind of lightens up a little bit this whole aspect of you know, death. Um being Yeah. You know, yeah, we don't always have to uh, to to be so serious. We all, I think, we tend to take ourselves way too seriously. Way too serious. We need to play. We talked about that before. We need to play more. We need to um, be lighter. We are so much more likely to dig ourselves out of a trench being playful than we are being serious. It's uh, the wisdom of a, a rabbi, rabbi, Edwin Friedman, who also, like me, uh, was a uh, a Bowen family systems theorist and. Uh, he wrote a phenomenal book called Generation to Generation, and probably half the people listening have um, heard about it or read about it, or now they have. And uh, he talks about how it's so important to remain light and playful. It's a huge part of relationships, being playful. And Wonder Boy, the media company, uh, just right next door to where we are, um, there's so much fun 
and there's so much productivity. And those, there's, those two things are not antithetical to one another. We have uh, in the Wonder Boy office, we have these sit-stand desks by Autonomous. They're out of Australia, which I highly recommend uh, checking them out. We actually have featured them on my YouTube channel for a music video that we did just to show the functionality of you can set four different settings for sitting, standing. Uh, we actually have a leg prop four o'clock. So uh, setting four is leg prop at four o'clock. Um, anyway, I highly recommend you checking them out. You do have to assemble them yourself, but it cuts out the middleman and it actually saves you a, a, a ton of money. Let me say it's valuable because sitting is the new smoking. Really? Science is showing that the sedentary lifestyle with which most of American commerce works is uh, doing the same amount of damage to us as is smoking. It's something like sitting for an entire day is like smoking two packs of cigarettes, not to the lungs, not one-to-one, but in terms of our overall health. You know, our spines need nourishment. We need to move around. In fact, while we've been recording this podcast... We're dying. I've been planking. I'm almost (laughs) finished. I'm starting to struggle a little bit in the core, but I know how important it is to not sit. And in my life, I have to sit. I'm in the chair all day, sometimes, you know, 10 hours a day. So uh, it's a little odd to be in the lotus position or, you know, the the prone or the child while I'm doing therapy with someone, but they've become very understanding. (laughs) My brother is a gas controller for a big natural gas company. He controls 13,000 miles of natural gas pipeline, has like seven screens in front of him. It's like high stress and they bring in companies. This is true uh, with like scientists, I think, or, or specialists, if you will, and if not scientists where the scientists created and make sure the products work. There are these like ergonomic chairs because he has to sit for 12 hours and they have all these different features and functionalities to them. It's insane. So like he literally, I think they had a day not too long ago where he goes and sits in the different ones and finds his favorite one. Yeah. You'll see in classrooms now, there are big inflatable um, round balls that people can sit on, or there are, um, you know, chairs that have unusual legs to them that maybe have a little spring or a little bounce. There might be stools. I mean, the science is definitely catching on that just sitting in a chair all day, is the, it's one of the worst things we can do for ourselves. Check out an autonomous sit-stand desk. I highly recommend it. If you are in a desk or in a desk setting, uh, encourage your uh, employer. If you are an employer, uh, I would recommend you checking them out because there's, there's something to be said for, man, I'm getting tired of sitting, stand. Because if you get tired of sitting and your only option is to sit, what are you going to do? You're going to go walk to the, walk to the, get water, or you're going to go walk to the break room and get, to, get distracted. That's my thought. Absolutely. What do you think? Yep. So either we're going to be uh, in shape and healthy uh, or we'll die trying. Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. And uh, I thank look forward to, to talking with you again next week, Jay. And I thank appreciate you for, all of you. Uh, thank you for you. Thanks for listening. Uh, until next time. Amen, guys. See you next week.